0: Welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy, and today we are talking to Agnes.
1: Agnes is the author of a book called Eggs Unscrambled: Making Sense of Egg Freezing, Fertility, and the Truth About Your Reproductive Years. A few years ago after trying to conceive, Agnes decided to take control of her fertility and to educate herself on the topic. What started as personal research became a blog, followed by a book. Agnes shared with us about her journey to become a mother, egg freezing, embryo freezing, sperm donor, IVF, she tried it all and we talk about all of it. She's now married and a happy mother of two beautiful children. We hope you enjoy this episode about an important topic, often ignored but affecting many women and couples in the world.
0: Hi Agnes, welcome to the podcast, thank you so much for being here, I can't wait for this conversation and welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Agnes, for taking the time to record this episode with us. Um, I I think this is like one of those funny episodes where we know quite a bit about you already, even before the episode starts, Uh, (laughs) and always find this dynamic quite interesting. And the 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 reason we know you is because Rosie and I read your book a few months ago. Uh, So you you wrote a book five years ago called uh, Eggs Unscrambled, and it's a book about fertility and eggs slash embryo freezing. And Rosie and I are going through our personal journey on on the topic, and we wanted to get educated a few months ago, because like many people, we didn't know anything about it. (laughs) And your book was very valuable, full of information through your personal story with fertility. You tried to educate as many people as you could. And it was very informative, so I thought it'd be really interesting to have a little chat to go deeper into, into it.
2: Great. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Um, as you said, the book was published five years ago, and I'm always still surprised. And it's a very rewarding feeling, knowing that people are still reading it, and that it's helpful and informative. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not technically a, a writer, although I did write a book. Um, and so I, I didn't expect, um, I I expected to put something out into the world that hopefully helped people. But um, I didn't expect the level of like feedback and engagement yeah. that I got around it. And that's been very rewarding for me.
1: I think and just before we dive into the topic is that's one of the special things about book compared to digital media, like podcasts and video is that, you know, we still have books that are thousands of years old. I feel books have this thing that they last much more, much longer than a video on YouTube that kind of get lost because of the algorithm or or whatever reason. The books have these special things that even five, six years and probably in 10 years time, it it will still be found by people and relevant by people. That's something special about books, I think.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, the book started actually as a blog. uh, And a publisher saw my blog and said, you should turn this into a book, Um, Mm. probably for exactly the the reason that you're talking about blogs, especially nowadays, just tend to get lost. There are millions of them. Um, And she felt that the topic was really important and interesting and very of the moment. And I think what she liked about it from a publishing perspective is that it came at a pretty um, heavy topic with a lighter tone of voice and a more approachable yeah. tone of voice and a conversation rather than kind of a, here's a brochure about fertility. Um, and so uh, she, I think she kind of saw the the potential in, in writing a book rather than just continuing to blog about it yeah
0: i think that was the thing for us as well that when you start to look into this whole world you're like oh my god i don't know what FHS fs levels are or like all these different technical terms and like you can read you know medical things it's like this is medically what's going to happen but what i found amazing about your book was first of all there was your experience But also you had experience of about six or... I can't remember how many different women as well sharing their experience. And it was also kind of questions in terms of, well, okay, at what age do you decide to go alone? Or at what age do you, like, do all these different things that you wouldn't really find in a medical documentation about embryo freezing or egg freezing? It was a lot more like your kind of best friend is talking you through this whole process. And I think that's what I liked about it. I felt really connected to you as, like not a character it's like a person and like I don't know you but it was so interesting to kind of get your like real thoughts on things and you know there were some that were harder to take and some that was easy to take and it was so interesting how you wrote it and it was like yeah like a best friend so thank you so much for like (laughs) being there for me in that moment when I was like I don't know what I'm doing but I need to learn about it so it was amazing that you'd You've done this book, so thank you from, oh, from wow. me anyway. <laughs> no, that's
2: great. That's great to hear. And again, it's, it's such a rewarding part of having written the book. I think, you know, the thing that I have found and continue to find, you know, as you interact with doctors in the medical profession is their job is to tell you the medical journey. Their job is to inform you of the statistics And there's nothing wrong with that but at some point you you have to advocate for yourself and think about it from a more human level and you know Mm -hmm. for example one of the questions that i always found kind of answered in a very inconsistent fashion was at what age should you start to think about proactively taking control Mm -hmm. of your fertility health and depending on the practice you went to and yeah. the agendas that those practices had, you would get very different answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, once you understand the medical side of it and the physical side of it, you can make that decision for yourself and you don't even really have to ask a doctor at what age should I start thinking about it? Because it's it's something that you, you decide for yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just maybe to uh, give a little bit more context to the listeners and for everyone to understand also your your personal th- story with fertility um so you you mentioned that you had a blog a few years ago can you tell us a little bit what motivated you at the beginning to start a blog because i think like I'm, I'm gonna you know like most people when you're in your early 20s you don't worry about fertility because it's probably just gonna happen someday you assume yeah. like everyone and then one day you meet someone and you decide to try when it's time and it either works out for a lot of people or it doesn't and that's when you start looking into options basically yeah yeah um and so yeah can you tell us a little bit about what motivates you to start this blog and what's your personal origin story about that
2: yeah absolutely i think you know my my motivation was just kind of realizing that people don't start to think about it or talk about it until they've discovered that there is a problem. And I find that no other big thing in our lives do we do that with, meaning mm-hmm. you know, even saving for your retirement, not that you do it in your 20s, but usually when you get your first corporate job, someone talks to you about a 401k. It's not like right. you get to be 65 years old and you're like, oh, wait, I should have been saving up this whole time. We can debate, you know, how many people actually save appropriately, but (laughs) the point is is the conversation is there and it's happening. Things like, you know, preventing skin cancer, you go to a screening every year and you, you try and get ahead of those issues. And fertility, I felt, was the one area where we kind of lived in this bubble of... If anything, I think we were a little bit misinformed in that, you know, in in, in the States anyway, high school sex education sort of had us believing that, be careful not to get too close to someone because it's so easy to get pregnant. And no one actually educates you on what happens to a woman's body every month and how she actually has the, how short that window of opportunity is to get pregnant every month, et cetera. And I discovered this through my own personal experience with it. Um, A, you know, I was living in New York City where a lot of my girlfriends were not getting married and thinking about babies and family until much later. So already you're inherently going into a situation where you might find that you have some fertility problems. Um, I got married for the first time when I was 31-ish. I can't even remember now. And, um, and he and I started to try. And I was still relatively young. I was in my early 30s. We were healthy. And it wasn't happening for us. And it was kind of undiagnosed. Nobody knew why. Um, and we started to go through the process of um, IUI, so artificial insemination. So not quite IVF, but the different variations of IUI. It didn't work out for us. So the next step was to move on to proper IVF. Um, and at that point, we decided actually let's take a break from this and let's assess our marriage. Yeah. And ultimately, um, that marriage ended. And it was a weird time in my life to end a marriage because I was in my early 30s. I was on this journey to become a mother. And suddenly, yeah. I found myself not only not becoming a mother anytime soon, but single again. And that really made me start to think about. How did i get to this point where i really didn't understand how the female kind of reproductive anatomy worked until i was in my early 30s trying to get pregnant and why aren't we having this conversation more openly and more freely especially in a world where we know that people are starting to get married later have babies later Uh, and so i became quite passionate about telling that story and Probably about a year after my ex and I split up, I decided to freeze my eggs. And I thought that was a good kind of moment to start talking about this and to start to kind mm. of record my own experience with it, which was the blog. Um, so that's that's the context and the background yeah. of what kind of inspired me to, to get out there and blog about it.
1: It's interesting what you said, because I think I, uh, I, I agree with you in the fact that I think there is... Compared to like our parents, or even the generation before their grandparents, right, they were usually having babies in their early twenties, mm-hmm. right? 21, 22, like usually get married and have a kid straight away. When now with our generation, it shifted to pretty much 10 years later. I, I don't know what's the average, but I would assume it's more like 28, 29, um, probably uh, at least in the U S or France, UK, like mm. similar yeah. countries like that. And at the same time, there is a shift happening on this level, but there's no shift happening on the medical and educational level saying that's fine. If you want to have a kid later, but you should know that X, Y, Z, like the consequences of that, it could be different than what it looked like to have a baby 10 years younger. And I think there is like a shift, like we're we not. Everything is not moving at the same pace and it's creating a disconnection between those two worlds, which is why we are very misinformed about that, probably, I think.
2: I think that's absolutely true. And one of the um, conversations that I had in my research was with my GYN at the time. And she was, all of the doctors that were involved in this were super open and lovely and very happy to help with this project. They were all women that believed that absolutely we should be having this conversation. And so one of the questions I asked her was, in your practice, why why don't you proactively hmm. tell your patients you should start thinking about egg freezing or you should start thinking about maybe getting um, some testing to see how how you're doing in terms of your your fertility and your fertility potential you know why aren't you having those conversations more proactively why are you waiting for patients to come to you and she said it's a very tricky topic first of all i think doctors are trained and they have a checklist of things that they need to deal with and they have so many patients and especially if you're you know if you're a typical gyn you're screening for you know cancers and all the typical things that a a woman goes into for her annual and so fertility is often not even top of mind. Mm. Secondly, she said it's a very personal thing, and it, it often could come off as though I am pushing or judging or asking someone to think about something that they're not really ready to think about yet. And so I found that to be really interesting, um, and it also begs the question of, when is the right time, and who is the right you know where are you supposed to learn about this? I mean, again, in in public education here in the United States, you do get sex education. You kind of learn the basic biology, but they don't really get into the details and the nuance and the complexity of what happens over time. Um, and so, where is that continued? Is that continued for those people that go to college, or you know, who who mm. talks about it? Who is responsible for it? Mm. Um, And, you know, I I don't have an answer for that, but that was one of the reasons that I thought if I could have a voice in this, and if others who have um, a a bigger platform than I do have a voice in this, then I think people will start to get a bit more educated.
0: I think the thing is, as well, is that people often think it's not going to happen to them. So we've had three miscarriages, and we had to have a late term abortion due to Mm -hmm. severe, like, medical issues. And then whenever I tell people like, oh, you know, we're thinking about doing embryo freezing, maybe you could also read a book about it and consider it and educate yourself because you're 30 and I'm 34. So if I was you, I wish I'd have done it earlier, but it's it's so hard to, because I think people think, well, that would happen to me. And it's almost a bit offensive to a. a not even accuse somebody, but even suggest that that might happen because yeah. everybody thinks it's not going to happen to them. I, I, know, I had no idea it was going to happen to me. And had I known, I would have frozen my eggs at 22 or 24 or 26, not now at 34, and I've been like, I'm really getting old in terms of fertility. <laughs> so I really need to do something about it. And it's, it's such an interesting, like, you kind of don't want to offend anyone or push on anyone, but at the same time, it's like, God, I'm just trying to help you because this could really change your life if you one day if you know you want children like I don't want to say should but women (laughs) should like sort of consider it a lot earlier than they do because you get to 34 36 whatever age it is and you're like oh shit now I'm really in trouble like I really need to and it's such an interesting like like you said like when is the right time I think we should be educating 20 year olds honestly and be like if you one day see yourself being a parent please consider this now because you never know what's going to happen and it's such a a huge part of people's lives having ch- I mean it takes over your whole life having children, yes, and if it's something you always want to do, but you never get the chance to because you didn't think about it until it was too late, it's such a yeah it's,
2: it is so a, very, it's a very sensitive topic, and i I think it's starting to become a bit less sensitive um, i think I think it was sensitive because for a long time. It was at least in New York and at least kind of in the world that I knew, it was almost like, don't assume I want to be a mother just because I'm a woman. Um, I think it was kind of wrapped into, frankly, an antiquated notion of feminism. And so it just came with like a bit of judgment. But when you think about, like I said, you know. Everything else that, you know, no one, also no one thinks they're going to get old, yet you talk about a retirement plan quite early on. No one thinks they're going to get skin cancer, yet for the most part, you go and get checked out every year. Those are just my two examples off the top of my head, and I think I probably use them in the book as well. Um, so I think it's time for everyone to just get over that. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's just planning. No one's saying you have to become a mom, but you don't want to be in your mid-30s or 40s having done nothing about it and i i i have to say 34 is is not old i had my first at 42 um i think it was 42 yes 42 and my second at 43 Um, and my second came totally naturally on her own and the first was you know our first shot of ivf with my now husband Um, certainly medically speaking, statistically speaking, 34 is around the time that the eggs start to really decline. But, um, but I also don't want people to get totally freaked out and think that gosh, in my mid thirties or forties, it's going to be nearly impossible because I think, um, there have been so many medical advancements, um, Mm. that, you know, it is, it is still very much possible to, to become a mom. Yeah.
0: Something I wanted to mention as well, just before we move on. Um, You just kind of reminded me then, it was about, you'd sort of said in the book that when somebody has a heart problem, you go and get a heart um, operation or something. Or if you break your arm, you go and get, like, it's kind of, all of these things are, well, at least in the UK, they're kind of all included because it's part of, like, healthcare. But in, like, when it comes to fertility, it's so much different. It's not even, like considered I don't know and it's almost like oh it's your fault for leaving it too late so you need to pay for it whereas yeah. and it was so interesting when you said that yeah you need to pay a, <laughs> yeah. a lot of money as well <laughs> yeah. it's so interesting that like well if I broke my arm right now the NHS would pay for me to fix it but then because I've left it to 34 they're not going to pay for me to have any fertility treatments and it's just such yeah. a weird like
2: Yeah, and that is, I think that is starting to change very slowly here in the States. Um, Mm -hmm. New York, for example, is now requiring all insurance companies to cover three rounds of fertility treatments. Mm. Um, And and I don't want to say all insurance companies because there's probably some exceptions. Um, They're still not covering things like egg freezing or anything that's seen as elective. But if yeah. you are actively trying to get pregnant and you can show that you have not been able to get pregnant naturally, um, they will cover three rounds of fertility mm. treatments. Um, and so it is starting to change. When I wrote the book, it was a very different thing. Um, and uh, and that was, you know, one of the things that I talk about is that we're we're, we're almost not even seeing it as a medical issue if it's yeah. not even covered by insurance. Um yeah that's starting to change a bit but probably much too slowly and you know and it's it's expensive yeah
0: yes.
1: yeah so when you so you mentioned at the beginning that the the book came because someone saw your blog and a publisher told you that it would be interesting to to create a book about that um, i'm curious to know how you felt about writing. i feel like having a book is something personal it's like, you know like I, I can write behind my screen and it's okay. It's a safe space. And some people are, are reading, but you know, I'm, I'm all right here in my house, in my bedroom writing, <laughs> um, but putting a book out there and becoming an author and having your name published in books and everything. That's, it, did you like, you know, when this person came to you and, and made you this proposal, like, what, what did you think about it? Did you like. Were you scared by it?
2: Well, I think um, one of the things that worked to to my advantage was I didn't know what I didn't know. Meaning I was quite excited (laughs) by it because I thought, Uh, oh, this could be really interesting and fun and a new aspect of, um, you know, I've I've never done anything like this. I've worked in a certain field my whole professional career and this is something interesting. And I was quite naive and I think that helped. I think (laughs) I've known how much work it was going to be, I may have uh, hesitated. (laughs) And then before she, you know, before we actually signed a book contract, I then kind of, you know, she wanted to hear my thoughts on what that book would be like. And so I had to start putting a proposal together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that helped me kind of understand what it meant to write a book. And so by the time I signed the contract, I was like, oh gosh, this is gonna be a lot of work. (laughs) Um, And then by the time I signed a contract, the minute you sign a contract, it suddenly becomes an obligation rather than a passion project. Um, Mm. but I, and it was hard, especially because I was working, you know, a full-time job, but I, um, I ended up hiring someone to help me with like the, the editing and the writing. And I had great doctors helping me with the medical piece of it. Um, because what I wanted to make sure is that in my attempt to translate everything to human speak, I didn't want to lose the validity of the medical information. and so yeah. I was constantly having the doctors just check, okay, if I'm talking about something like this, is it accurate? Um, so I had a really good group of people helping me out on it. Um, but I went into it kind of naively and and I think that helped, and now people ask me, would you write a follow-up book? Like your story has evolved so much. And, you know, yeah. when you ended the book, you were single, you weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, you were going to maybe pursue having a baby by yourself. And now you've done all these other things. And now you have two babies. Would you write another book? And I'm so much more hesitant now. Cause I'm kind of like, <laughs> no, cause I know how much work goes into it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know, I don't know how interesting my story is now.
1: Well, it, I think any story is valuable for someone in the world. Um, It might, you know, attract a different audience, Mm -hmm. uh, let's say, but it doesn't mean it's not interesting. It might just be other people will be interested by it. Um, No, and actually it's true like that. That's when I was um, like, I I tried to find your, your blog. And I've seen that like, it wasn't very like updated recently, and so I looked on Instagram and LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and I saw you had two kids, and it was like, oh, that would be actually very interesting to talk to her now because like the, she's a very different person than she was at the end of the book, and yeah. that's that's very interesting to see the the evolution and what happened after the book in the yeah. next chapter. So I, I think it's valuable. It's always interesting. I would see. read it. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: thank you. Good to know. Well, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe I will read that second book. I mean, I think the, re- the other reason I hesitate is as a mother, there's just, you never, um, you mothering is kind of like you're making it up as you go. I never want to pretend to be the authority on, yeah. Momming because yeah. everyone has a different way of doing it and we, we're all kind of making it up as we go along. I think certainly um I've had a second chapter and a different journey since the book. I went through um several months of trying to get pregnant on my own with um donor sperm mm-hmm. while I was single and um and in a way, thank God that didn't work out. And I didn't do IVF for that. I did um, only IUIs. And then it, with my last round, it had to turn into an IVF treatment because my ovaries got overstimulated. I had too many eggs. So they're like, we're not going to do artificial insemination because in, you'll end up getting pregnant with like quadruplets. So what we can do is do an egg, um, egg removal and, uh, and freeze embryos. And that was actually good timing because that was around the time that I met my now husband Mm -hmm. and um, he was kind of with me for one of these cycles where I was doing this with donor sperm. And when I was done with it and froze the the embryos, he was like, okay, so that was just an insurance plan, right? Like you and I are now a thing and neither of us are spring chickens and I really love you and I want to have kids. So, you know, why don't we just kind of like use that as your insurance policy, but let's you and I start talking about having kids. And so just a few months later, we did. Um, We went back to the same doctor that had done my egg freezing and and that was trying to help me get pregnant with donor sperm. And um, she got me pregnant with the first IVF cycle with my now husband. Um, So it it was a really interesting journey of, trying to do it on my own, kind of finishing up one last cycle right as I had met my <laughs> husband and then suddenly yeah. going, actually, we should just do this together. Um, and it, you know, it worked it, and it's a weird happy ending. I never thought I, you know, I always assumed I had become a single mom and I didn't believe in happy endings and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and certainly, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs on um, my first had um, a lot of health issues when he was born and he's fine now, thank God. Um, But I think that's a whole other aspect of it that I hadn't considered is, Mm. and, and I think it's one of the things that made me realize, wow, I'm really glad I'm doing this with a partner. I know a lot of single moms out there and, you know, they are doing an amazing job and they're getting joy out of motherhood the same way I'm getting joy out of motherhood. But when my son was born, I needed to have major operations before he was even a week old it was just so comforting to have my husband there and to have a partner and to you know do that as a partnership rather than doing it solo um and that's just an aspect that you don't you know you you think of course I'm gonna have a healthy child and and then suddenly when you don't it throws you into a whole other world of exploring and finding out about the condition and dealing with it. And uh, it's, it, yeah, that that is a book in and of itself.
1: Yeah, yeah, clearly, yeah.
0: Did you know during the pregnancy that your firstborn was gonna have these medical issues or was it just when they were born that you, you knew?
2: So we knew, um, so my son was born with something called TEF, TE fistula, it has to do with the trachea and the esophagus. Okay. When I was eight months pregnant, they realized that I was or um, seven months pregnant. I had way too much um, fluid. My, the, the water was just like building up and I was huge for my belly was really big for being seven months pregnant. And so they realized that something wasn't right. At the time, they diagnosed him with something called duodenal atresia. Which just means that your stomach and your small intestine weren't properly connected for whatever reason. There was either a a disconnect or something obstructing the connection. So they Mm -hmm. said, um, that's what's going on with your son. He's going to have to have an operation when he's born. It's totally fixable. He'll be in the NICU for a couple of weeks, and then he'll go home, and you'll never even know that he had this issue. So we were like, OK. I mean, it's definitely a curve ball, but we can deal with that. We, mm. um, we were in New York City, so thank God we had access to the best doctors. I ended up having to switch my, um, my prenatal care to a different hospital because I wanted to give birth at a hospital that had the best surgeons and the best NICU yep. and all that stuff. So that was stressful. And then when he was born, we found out that actually he had other issues as well, um, mm-hmm the main one being the TE fistula, where it was another connection issue where his esophagus was um, not connected to his stomach. Rather, it was connected to his airway. Hmm. So that's something that needed to be operated on as well. And that is a more complicated issue where, depending on how serious it is, they could have long-term effects or it could be fixed and you know, there's very little long-term effects. Um, And so he ended up having to have that operation before he could even deal with the duodenal atresia. So he ended up being in the NICU for uh, exactly a month. Um, He had two major surgeries before he was like five days old. Um, And thank God he's now like a thriving, adorable, like talkative little 22 month old. Um, But it was very scary the first few months where we were, you know, and the doctors kept looking into, once they're born with a couple of, um, of birth defects and anomalies, the doctors are really looking for everything else. You know, they ran genetic tests on him again, oh, right. even though we had all, it was not a genetic thing. Um, they, he did have a VSD, which is something that a lot of children are born with. It's basically a hole in the, um, in the chamber of, uh, the, you know, the the muscle that divides the two chambers mm-hmm. of the heart, of the lower heart. Um, These are four chambers, and I'm talking about the, the lower two chambers. And a lot of kids are born with that, but his was pretty significant, so we had to follow that. Um, so he, he had a lot going on, so. um, and he's still, you know, we watch him for things like he's much more, um, he's much more likely to, you know, get pneumonia from a cold than a regular kid. Mm-hmm. but again, knock on wood, thank goodness, he hasn't had any major issues. And we're hoping that, you know, as he grows and gets older, it'll just be a thing that we can put behind us. But, um, yeah. that in and of itself was, you know, a whole other journey.
1: Yeah. Know, yeah, it's, and it's interesting. Cause like also you, I think you, you two mentioned before is you, you, even if you know things can happen until it's happening to you, you don't think it's going to happen to you most of the time. And even if you went through things before you think, okay, you know, I've, I had my share of shit happening to me now, universe, please leave me alone. Uh, and yeah, so it's, I I mean, I can't even imagine how complicated it must have been, especially after your personal journey also, and your whole story behind there, it's, it's even more like you think like I've made it kind of thing. And then you, oh something else that have to go through to eventually be happy as a mother and stuff like that it must have been challenging yeah yeah Yeah.
2: and you i think you always expect the typical things especially as an older mom like down syndrome and you know all the all those things that like they test for constantly but to have something diagnosed really late in your pregnancy that you've never heard about and Mm. then suddenly have to like seek out the specialists to help you with it was like, oh, my God, you suddenly have to really educate yourself very quickly on, on what's going on.
1: Yeah. So something you, you mentioned a little bit before was about your kind of change of mind uh, when you're writing a book and then meeting your now husband. And this is something that I felt a little bit. It was interesting reading the book uh, for us, too, because uh, the book is clearly written like for women, like your your audience is a, a woman and you talk to women. so it was interesting for me to read it as a man, because you you had some uh, comments in the book about you know like you can be a single mom, like not like kind of men are useless, but sometimes I felt like kind of <laughs> this kind of message, yeah. like we don't need you that much, we can do it on our own. <laughs> uh, that's how I felt at some point. Strong, it was
0: independent it, women. It,
1: it, it was interesting and uh, and and obviously like it's because at this point in life, you're going through things and yeah. that was your feeling and stuff. But it's interesting to see uh, the evolution of your, your your person and how you evolved and met someone and fell in love and decided to have a child together. The, the evolution is quite cool, I think, to observe. Uh,
2: thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I forget sometimes <laughs> some of the really strong uh, points of view that I had. And listen, I still believe that if, that women can do it on on their own and. Yeah. Um, And so I'm not, I don't, and I wouldn't even say that I changed my mind. I fell in love with, which sounds really cheesy, but you know, (laughs) when I met him, I was going through the process of trying to get pregnant as a single woman. so it's not like I sort of changed my mind and then decided to look for someone to have a baby with. It's just, we met and he's kind of perfect and we fell in love and it sounds so cheesy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But but it's the truth, um, yeah. and I, you know, I, I, I think I may have written that I reserve the right to change my mind at any point.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, and and I'm I'm curious about the, the dynamic when you guys met because uh, I'm trying to put myself into issues shoes about meeting a, a, a woman that I'm um, starting to have feeling for, and I know she's going through that on her own. That must have been a little bit confusing for him, right? You know, I, I can imagine.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's, he is special um, in that he's really just strong and self-aware and was not intimidated by um, by what I was doing. Um, and, you know, we talked early on about, like, obviously I'm not going to finish this cycle. I'm going to freeze these... And I, I couldn't finish the cycle anyway because of the, the medical situation that was going on. Um, but what was great about it and what one of the things that I love the most about him is that he's very transparent and open and honest. And um, we didn't feel the need to kind of play games. We were really honest about our feelings. For mm. each other early on, him probably more so than me, um, and so in that way, I kind of found like the the unique the, the unicorn in New York City who was like willing to put it all out there, um, and so I think most of it had to do with his ability to communicate and be clear and open. Um, yeah. but I'm sure I, I'm sure it was a really I think you know he he always says that he loved that I was independent and strong Um, but I you know he saw that he also saw the softer side of me and the side that was like very much willing to to be in a relationship and in a partnership.
0: Can I ask you about the sperm donor part like how does that happen how do you choose a sperm donor do you get like a leaf like a a booklet that you go through like i I have, (laughs) not that I'm looking don't worry Jeremy I'm just for other people, I'm interested. How does that work?
2: Uh, that is exa- I mean, it's almost like um, it's almost like a dating site, but okay. really, but it's anonymous, <laughs> and you're looking at you know you're looking at pictures of um, of men and what they look like when they're. It's largely baby pictures of the men who have donated sperm. Right. Um, and then, you know, they screen for all kinds of things. So you get your the medical information and um, at what age they donated. You get information like have they had any live births from their samples. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, you're kind of looking through a brochure. Um, and there are several different sperm banks, at least here in the States, um, some of them have better user experience than others um i always thought that well, here's an industry that could really use some modernization in terms yeah. of just how it presents itself because it's it's a pretty horrible um user experience but it's also quite fun to i mean i remember sitting in my living room with my friends and <laughs> <laughs> i don't know which one do i pick <laughs> a, it okay.
1: must be funny to have like filters like okay which item do we want to keep and
0: how tall do we want and what color eyes do we want and like because that's i guess all the things that you're told about right like
2: yeah
0: height and eye color and hobbies and things even i don't know yeah they do
2: yeah some of them write essays and hobbies and that that stuff to me is kind of silly i was really looking at more like the physical traits um I think it's interesting because my husband is um dark hair, dark eyes, he looks totally opposite to me. Um but when I was looking to do it on my own, I was actually looking for a donor that would look that looked more like me so that I didn't have this child that um yeah. you know, looked like a complete stranger, frankly. Um, and so for me, it was important that as I picked donor sperm, that they had light hair and light eyes, um, so that, That you know, we weren't ever in a situation where I'm on the playground with the kid and people are going, Oh, must look just like his dad or her dad.
1: Yeah. 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 that That makes sense. Yeah. So something I was very curious about, and this is like post book clearly, uh, when I when I've seen on online that you had your your first child, because this is something that we've been also discussing with Rosie. So once you have your eggs or embryo frozen, depending on on, on this on personal situation, and then you meet someone and you you decide to try, like do you first try naturally or you decide to use your reserve already? And and you know like this is something we've been discussing. Like one day we in two or three years we decide to try. Do we try naturally, and then if we doesn't work out, x amount of time, then do we tap into what's there? I, did did you have this kind of conversation also on your side?
2: We did, yes. Well, we didn't consider using my frozen embryo because that would have been using donor sperm. Oh yeah. But we yeah. did talk about using the frozen eggs. My doc, it really depends on your medical situation as well. Like I was still ovulating; I still had. All the right numbers. And so for me, my doctor said, think about your frozen eggs as like your little diamonds that are stashed away. Like you only use those if you absolutely need to. So Mm. let's try with your fresh eggs first. And if those don't work after several cycles, then we'll talk about thawing
1: Mm.
2: your frozen eggs. It it really depends, though, on, you know, if someone is at a point where, you know, they're going through like early menopause and they're not really ovulating anymore, Mm. the recommendation might be different. Um, So for us, we we did a fresh cycle. um, And in fact, the embryo that was implanted was a fresh embryo, meaning they didn't even do genetic testing on it. It was just, Mm. you know, they watched them grow. And then at five days. Um, the ones that look the best kind of to the naked eye, Mm. they'll transfer. Um, and the rest they tested and froze. Mm. Right. And so now, um, I'm in a situation where I have lots of frozen eggs. I have (laughs) a frozen embryo from donor sperm. And then we also have like four or five frozen embryos from that first cycle. Um, but we've had our second child naturally, so we probably won't ever go back and use those those frozen embryos.
0: It's so. I'm just thinking about like the money aspect of things because when you do this, it costs a lot of money, even in England, let alone in the states. Yes. I know it's like tens
1: of thousands for people. Two listening. or three
0: times more expensive, and it's it is it is something to consider. I think the price because it's one of those things where like. Like you said, it is kind of future-proofing. It is kind of something that you might one day use, but then also it's a lot of money and time and effort and also the energy and like the emotional side of it of like injecting yourself and doing these procedures and this whole thing for then something that you might never use. And I think that was something that we, well, I struggled with, I don't know about you, but it was kind of like, is it worth all this money or do we just try again in a couple of years? And like, it's such a... It's
2: complex. Yeah, it's really complex. I know, and that there's no... There's no guidance or right answer. I think it's a very personal decision. Yeah. Um, and I was fortunate that I could, um, I could do the egg freezing and um, and all the cycles. And and then by the time that my husband and I were trying, that that new law was in place, so they that first cycle was covered anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and thank God we got lucky in that it worked the first time. Yeah. Um, and I understand that it's definitely a hard decision to make, especially if you don't know if you'll ever use them. Um, yeah, that's what makes it complicated and personal.
1: Yeah. 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 No, yeah, clearly. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of things to consider. And, uh, but like you said also at the same time, and, and this is something I also like personally think about is like, I'm very grateful also to be in a position to be able to make those choices, mm-hmm. uh like to be in a country where I can do it and to be financially able to do it yeah. without putting myself at risk and stuff like that and yeah you never know what's going to happen in the future but I also know that I'm doing it without putting myself in trouble yeah. and and I'm very grateful to be able to do that and and it's also something important to remember I think when you're into into this place because I think we act- I consider myself very fortunate to be able to do it. Yeah, uh, I agree. Out of the eight billion people in the world. so
2: Yeah, it's definitely a very, um, it's a privilege to be able to do it. And I think um, it's a privilege to be able to create options for yourself. And mm. so for me, the investment was worth knowing that at the end of it, what I was going to have was kind of a plethora of options so that I never felt stuck. And I never felt like I was in a position of like, I'm out of choices. Um, mm-hmm. which is why I, you know, did all the egg freezing and explored all the different ways. Um and but I'm very aware and conscious that it's a um it's it's not a choice that everyone gets to make.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I know something when we discussed about it, like something that was very important for Rosie also is the like the time pressure feeling like there is like a, a time bomb and you, you need to do it otherwise this is something very complex for me to understand because as as a man even if obviously we get older but it's not as difficult for us men to have a child when we're older than women yeah. so it's something that i can i, I can't relate to yeah? i can try as much as i can to understand but mm-hmm. it's it's not something i can feel you know in, in my heart in a way yeah. um but is that something that you, you felt like you had to do it now because there is this time pressure? And also when you did it, did you feel like, a whew, okay, now I can chill a little bit because I know I've got my diamonds on the side and I can relax a little?
2: Yes and no. Um, I definitely felt the time pressure and I had hoped that freezing my eggs would take some of that pressure off. And I felt that pressure largely because I had just come out of a marriage where we were trying to get pregnant and I saw how difficult it could be. And so, you know, I definitely kind of heard and felt this giant ticking clock behind me at all times. And so when I finally froze my eggs and I got a really nice big batch of eggs, I felt quite like, okay, I've I've accomplished it. But that feeling of sort of, okay, now I can breathe, didn't last that long because Um the reality is is that I didn't want to have a baby too old and I didn't want to you know I didn't want to have my first child when I was 45 50 um and you know I was approaching my 40s at the time um, I also realized well, I may never meet someone so I do have to really think about this option of if I mm-hmm. want to be a mom, I'm gonna to have to do it on my own, and so uh, yeah, I think I relaxed for a year or so, and I and then I always told myself at 40, if I'm single, I'm going to pursue having a baby on my own, and that's mm-hmm. when that's when I started the whole donor sperm um, trying to get pregnant alone thing. Um, but I, for me, I had. I had moments of like, okay, relief, I've gotten that done and out of the way, but I always knew, okay, the next milestone is coming yeah. up. And if at 40, I'm still single, then I really want to pursue this on my own.
1: Mm. Mm. This reminds me of something that you mentioned in the book, and I know that resonated with you a lot is how as women, uh, you, you kind of push the, when it's. Like oh, yeah. you know, say like you, you were, were saying say that, that a, like yeah.
0: in you know, if you're twenty-five you think, Oh, I can wait till I'm twenty-eight, and then you're twenty-eight, you think, mm, I can wait till I'm thirty, and then you're thirty, oh I can wait till I'm thirty-five. And then oftentimes people push it, push it, push it, and then they get to the point where you they're either too more. old and they think, Well, actually I'm too old, or they physically can't do it. And it's interesting because I think we were similar that like, you know, we started trying at twenty-eight, were yeah. we, something like that, twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Yeah. And then I just thought, oh, God, I could never have kids after 35. And now I'm 34. I'm like, oh, God, okay, maybe to 40. And I know that when I'm 40, I'll be like, oh, maybe 45. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's how
1: you push the, I'm too old for that or whatever. Like, you keep pushing the limit as you go in life. Yeah.
2: yeah. For me, I was always, like, I, I didn't necessarily have an age where I was, like, after this age, I definitely am not doing it, but I generally mm-hmm. felt like I wanted to have my first child before 45. Mm-hmm. And I generally felt like 40 was a good time to start thinking about doing it on my own if I was um, if I was single. But I think I wasn't one to kind of keep pushing it because I knew so much about the topic and I knew so much about mm-hmm. what that meant. And frankly, now that I have kids, I mean, one of the things that has been really interesting and I've thought about is... I have no regrets about what I've done with my life and the fact that I chose to focus on my profession and I kind of lived my life to the fullest before meeting my now husband and having babies. But I will say that I'm kind of bummed that it didn't happen earlier. I'm bummed that I didn't meet him earlier and that we didn't have kids earlier because the other side of the equation is I'm not going to live as long to enjoy some of their their milestones. You know what I mean? It's like sure, medical advances, maybe I'll live till I'm 100, who knows. But, you know, I, when they're going off to college, I'm going to be quite old. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and on, you know, on the one hand, they keep you young for longer, for sure. Um, on the other hand, you know, I'm not a young mom, I'm not a young parent. And not only does that mean, like, I'm getting back aches when I take them in and out of the crib, but it also just means that, I'm gonna be of a certain age when they're hitting milestones, and yeah. like, what what kind, am I gonna be a grandparent? Will I be around for when they have kids? Um, yeah. And God, those are like really scary questions and thoughts um, that, again, you just don't consider until you have a baby.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah this is something you've, you've talked about. Yeah, like being an old mom, and uh...
0: well, I think because I was like. Even before I met Jeremy, I was like, "Right, I'm ready to have kids," <laughs> and we met at 22, so I've always wanted kids. Oh, wow. And then, so like, you know, 25, I was like, "We're we doing it yet?" And Jeremy was like, "A couple more years." And I was like, "We're <laughs> we doing it yet? We're we doing it yet?" And then, obviously, we had the miscarriages and the abortion and that kind of thing. And I was so I always want like I was like I always just thought I'd be a, like a young mum, and then I'm now. I know you said 34 isn't old in terms of like the other people, yeah, <laughs> but to me, it's way older than I. And I'm not even planning on having a kid like in the next year or two so it's it's yeah it's I don't know and there is the whole thing like you know oh god am I going to be too old to deal with like a six month old screaming at two in the morning (sighs) are I (laughs) bothered with that like at 25 of course I don't care like you know you can you can cope with six hours sleep but now I'm like no I need my sleep and I don't think I could be bothered with like a screaming toddler or like
2: yeah
0: teenage years and especially because when they're a teenager you're going to be even older still and it's just like I don't know it is something to consider and something that like I've thought of but I think ultimately like if having kids is what you want it doesn't really matter what age you are as long as you're a good parent and you love them and care for them
2: I think that's true and I also think there are some trade-offs like the thing that it bothers me a little less that maybe I'm maybe I don't have the same energy levels as I would have had 10 years ago um it's because because we we also have more resources than some of my friends, for example, who had babies in their twenties or even early thirties, mm-hmm. like we were able to hire a night nurse to help for you know as we were like sleep training, and we were able to kind of build the right infrastructure around ourselves to support us, and so you know, I think you kind of make up for one thing by by yeah. having the other um for me, the old- the the thoughts that sort of like Hit me were more around as they get older, what kinds of milestones will I be around for and mm. what won't I, or how present will I be, or how um, my parents are older and my and Helder's parents, Helder is my um, husband. Mm are younger and it's just interesting to see the grandparents and how different the dynamic is right. with the grandparents and the kids. And so I know that I'm obviously gonna be an older grandparent if that day even comes. Who knows what's <laughs> gonna happen, you know who knows what'll happen with their generation and when they decide to have kids. Um yeah, it's more about the future stuff, not so mm. much about the running around after them or the you know waking up with them that kind of stuff I think a you kind of get through as a mom regardless and b you you know you build a great team of people around to help with that (laughs) which also is you know a great privilege but one that you know in my 20s and 30s I wouldn't have been able to afford yeah Yeah. no yeah
0: yeah it's true
1: um one of the probably one of my last question, uh, on, on the topic is something that I thought about was when you wrote the book, uh, you were in a place in your life and you had thoughts related to this situation. And now five years later that you're happily married with two kids, you obviously have a different mindset. Like as of today, if you, if you had to write the same book today, would you write things differently in a sense of you know i felt in a book you were trying understandably to create a sense of urgency to 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 tell women like just be aware of what's going on in your body and be proactive about it because as time goes on you know chances decreasing and stuff like that now that you went through uh like a natural birth at, at 40 plus and everything would you maybe write things differently or you know like take it maybe like actually it is possible also you know to have a child naturally later Do do you see what i mean
2: yeah um i in that sense no i think the urgency is still uh something something that i i believe i don't believe that i would have gotten pregnant naturally with my second had i not had my first Um, Mm -hmm. you are always much more fertile after you give birth and certainly after you stop breastfeeding. And so I got pregnant in that window of I had just given birth and I had just stopped. Um, I couldn't breastfeed him because of medical issues, but I was pumping So Mm -hmm. that eventually when he was able to eat properly, he would have some breast milk and I could only kind of do that for about two months and you can't exclusively pump for more than two months.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: But when I stopped pumping, um, I suddenly got my cycle back very quickly and and that's when I got pregnant. So I don't believe that I would have gotten pregnant naturally without that first pregnancy. I could be wrong, who knows, you know. Yeah, you um, never know. (laughs) You never know. So I don't think that I would change kind of the urgency of it. And I would say that my urgency wasn't around go have babies now. The urgency was around just be aware and and if you are give yourself options if you're in a position to. Um I think, you know, the one thing that I was quite naive about was the single motherhood thing. Um and again, I have friends who are single moms and um and they're doing an amazing job of it. But the things that I didn't consider that I went through with my firstborn um were things that I frankly would much rather have gone through with my husband and I'm I'm so glad that I had that partner in partnership. Yeah. So I I may be a little less I think I was quite pushy in the book about like you know, being independent and doing it on your own. Um, And I think I may have had not quite as strong a view on that if I was writing the book. Now, I still think Mm. if that's what you want to do, absolutely. It's just I now think through the implications of that a bit more clearly and uh, in in a more nuanced way than I could back then. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for answering honestly. And and also, thank you for sharing. Yeah, all that with us and the book because, uh, yeah, it is an important topic that honestly, until now I've never thought about, I never thought I would ever need to read a book about it <laughs> uh, or to get educated about it because like we mentioned before, this is usually stuff that happened to other people. That's what we think. Um, but it is an important topic and, and yeah if if we can help a couple of people along the way by sharing stories like like yours and ours uh, and it can make a difference and someone can have a a aha moment or whatever and it's interesting also because like now i talk about it with my younger cousin who are like in their like 22 and 26 and stuff like that so it's like i'm I'm sure they never thought about it yeah i know they told me they did not actually so it's it's also like the the ripple effect that yeah. such a book can have because people talk about it with family members and stuff and you you never know the impact it can have on someone younger and things like that so that's 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 what's great about it
2: oh great well thank you i really enjoyed this conversation and i wish you guys the best of luck i don't know you well but i could tell you'd be great you. parents but <laughs> if you guys decide that's not what you want to do then you know enjoy your lives and travel and have fun there are you know there there are fulfilling lives that don't involve kids as well yeah
1: yeah no yeah and this is something that we've been thinking a lot about also about the desire of having a child and where it's coming from and this is also something you talk about in the book how it's expected for people but it's yeah yeah it's a whole journey. <laughs> yeah, we're still yeah. still yeah.
0: figuring it out. But thank yeah. you for you always do. <laughs> writing the book and thank you for doing that. Because honestly, it did really help me kind of when I was a bit like, well, I kind of want to think about it. I don't know if we're going to do it or not. But then reading it kind of pushed me forward to be a bit like, well, I do need to be proactive in my life. And if this is something that someday I could see myself doing, then it's worth doing now. So I think... Yeah, thank you, is what I want to say. It's been oh, wonderful talking you to you and,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, and hearing just your story. Just one thing. last question for the show before we close okay. the episode.
0: yeah, forgot. <laughs> so we have this question. If you could talk to anybody, famous or not famous, dead or alive, who you think would be super duper interesting, the most interesting person, who would you choose and why? Oh, gosh.
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh...
1: That's the question we ask every guest at the end of the show, so...
2: (laughs) only one person?
1: Yeah, the Mm. first one coming to your head, first I mean, the
2: first person that popped into my head, and this is maybe a little expected, was Obama. Um, Uh I think especially in our current political climate in the U.S., (laughs) um, you know, he's just a brilliant mind, and I'd love to pick his brain on what he thinks the way forward is in this crazy crazy political
1: environment
0: that
2: we're living in yeah yeah Interesting. i
0: would listen to that conversation oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> i want to know as well
1: <laughs> yeah
2: maybe we can uh, do a podcast with him yes. oh here, okay well, well,
1: well he's he's kind of closer to you than he is to us so get in touch with him and, and yeah. reorganize well, we organize it books, so, you know, maybe on the spot. here we go <laughs> <laughs> now, thank you so much, Agnes, once again for being on the show and taking the time to chat with us. I uh, will link the book and and, and your contact uh, in the show notes. So if people have any questions, they can reach out to you. But yeah, thank you so much. We truly appreciate your time.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, everybody watching, thank you for watching on YouTube. Thank you for listening on the podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode and we will see you there. Bye. Bye.